Jesus' name. Will you stand with me, please? I'm reading two verses of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. One is in chapter 6 and verse number 12. I'll wait for all of you to turn there in your Bibles. These screens and phones have, have taken the place of Bibles. I don't care. I just, I don't care how you get it. Just make sure you get the word through some vehicle, okay? Uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily in the black back book, but just Jesus said my words are spirit and life. He didn't say that black book. He just said my words. So however you do it, just stay in touch with the word, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Here's chapter 10 and verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So my subject for our Bible class tonight is simply going to be entitled Liberty and Its Limits. God bless you. You may be seated. Paul was the greatest apologist. I guess that would be a good choice of words right now. Not only was he an apostle, he was an apologist. And um, an apologist is someone who, who gives an argument in defense of a very controversial subject. And at that time, there was nothing more controversial than the concept of Christianity. Paul was, of course, defending it. Did you ever wonder why this guy's got two names? You know, first, of course, he is introduced to us in Acts chapter 9 as Saul of Tarsus. But most people know him simply as Paul, the apostle. Two names, two very different names. One's Saul, of course. It's a Jewish name. Paul isn't. Paul, Paul is not a Jewish name. It's a Roman name. And um, so I did a little homework. This is Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Or verse 24, rather. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know whether they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told his boss. He told his chief captain saying, you, you need to be real careful what we're about to do because this man is a Roman. And then the chief captain came and said, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. 
And Paul said, I was freeborn. I was freeborn. If you, you, Acts 22 is the second place in the Bible where Paul gives his testimony. And um, basically, end of it, he said, the Lord already told me you're not going to receive what I've just said to you. And boy, was he right, because it pretty much created a riot. And so um, if, you, if you ever deal with law enforcement personnel, um, they, they, technically they are known as peace officers. And um, no different from back here, this, this soldier whose job it was to keep the peace is trying to figure out Who's responsible for this riot? And of course, everybody is pointing towards Paul. So they grab him and they've literally got him tied down and they're fixing to whoop him, scourge him. This is a very horrible thing. This is not just a couple slaps on, 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 on the wrist here. This is, this is a horrible thing. One time, Paul said, five times of the Jews received thy 40 stripes, save one. Five times. So that's 195 scars this guy had. And, um, but this is one time where they didn't beat him because as they're just about to whoop him, he said, whoa, 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 whoa there, boss. I'm Roman. And as a Roman, I, I deserve my day in court. You can't do this without me having a trial. And it scared that soldier. He went to his boss and said, guy said, he's a Roman. And, and so the captain comes and said, are you, are you, because if he lied, then they kill him. You can't fake being a Roman. Are you Roman? Yes. And, and, the, and the captain said, it cost me a lot of money to be a Roman citizen, which made me wonder what's going on here. So I did my homework and I found that there were three ways that you could become a Roman citizen. Number one, of course, was if you were born Roman. Number two was if you were in the military. Everybody in the military was given Roman citizenship. And the third, uh, you could buy it. And um, obviously this, this man um, had given a lot of his life. He said, this was expensive for me to get this citizenship. But Paul said, I was born free. And then Acts 16. Acts 16, you remember, is Paul and Silas in, in jail, in the prison. And, and this is the keeper of the prison. Acts 16 and 36. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison and now you just want to let us go? No, he said, you let them come and let them let us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they were afraid because they have just beaten a Roman citizen without giving him a chance to defend himself. It's a big deal in that culture. Here's Acts 25. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. 
But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. So Paul would say, whoa, I haven't done anything wrong. But if these people still want to try and convict me, fine. I want my day in court. I want to appeal in Rome. And so there, there are at least three places I could find in, in the scripture where Paul obviously had Roman citizenship. So I'm trying to figure out how did this happen. And the, the best thing I, I could find, I went through a lot of different books, but I found the account of an, of an ancient historian by the name of Jerome. Jerome said that Paul's parents were carried off as prisoners of war to the city of Tarsus. And they so impressed the man that was over the house that they served in, that that master, if you will, that Roman master, granted them Roman citizenship as a result of the quality of work they had done in his house. And as such, then their boy being born would be born automatically, as Paul said, I was born free. And uh, what, what matters is not how he obtained his citizenship. What, what I'm trying to explain to you is this is a guy that's trafficking in at least two worlds. And uh, a Jewish world and a Roman world. And, and, and my reason for pointing this out is the more and more I began to study, it is obvious Paul didn't just traffic in two worlds, but he trafficked in four. This is, this is in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3 when he is telling people who he was. And he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, Yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, if, if you know, this, the Gamaliel is, is mentioned several times in the Bible. He's considered the foremost religious teacher of his day. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as you are this day. Here's some... Here's, um, um, Philippians chapter 3, it says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. So, not only is this guy familiar with Roman culture and Jewish culture, he is obviously very, very skilled and trained in the religious culture. He's been trained to be a rabbi by a man named Gamaliel. Then I found this, this is Acts 17. This is when Paul went to Mars Hill. It's, it's a word in the book of Acts, it's a Areopagus. This is what it says in 17 and 18 of Acts. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods 
because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. This, just on a side note here, um, I, I, I've, I've always looked at this very, this, these verses in Acts 17 leading up. This is, this is, this is a very educated man, basically. Uh, it's, that place still exists today, Mars Hill, what the, the, the ruins are still there. It was a semicircle. And basically anybody, anybody in town that wanted to had the right to wait their turn and get up there and say whatever they wanted to say. And there were elders, smart guys, educated guys in these seats, and they would critique what the person said. This is, of course, where the Paul said, I, I saw when you came here, you had uh, uh, basically an idol for every, every God you could think of. But then I saw one to the unknown God. He said, well, that's who I want to talk to you about. Because that God that you don't know, I do know. And let me tell you about him. And so to me, it was like Paul looking at these Pentecostals he's running with and said, look, you, 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 guys, you guys just barely got out of high school. But I went to college. And I, I, I went to graduate school. And I've been to seminary. And now, now these guys, these aren't your kind of guys. These are my kind of guys. I feel very comfortable here. You sit here. I'm going to go persuade all these guys that we're right. And he goes up there and he gives them this amazing, I wish we had a recording of that. But when he got done, basically they said, that was nice, next. <laughs> and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, aren't you, aren't you bowled over by what I just said? No, not really. And uh, so now, Matthew, give us Acts 18 and 1. Watch what the next verse is. Then Paul came to Corinth. And if you read another place in the book of Corinthians, Paul said this. I, I, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. Why? I just tried that at the last place. It didn't work. This time I'm coming to you in the demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God and I thought I knew everything. I don't know. Not, only thing I know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. He just realized I could dip my tongue in a rainbow and that's not going to bring conviction. I can try and show off how smart I am and that ain't going to change anybody. What we need is what we saw Monday, at a demonstration of the power, spirit of God. You get that going, stuff changes. We can all look like smarty pants and blah, blah, blah. I've said to people for years, I, I realize education is important. I'm not downplaying it, but get an education and then get over it. Because your education holds no clout in the world of the spirit. Which brings us to the fourth world. Because it's obvious, it talks about Epicureans and Stoics. And I wondered, I, I didn't ever, what, what's an Epicurean? An Epicurean is someone that followed a Greek. Now remember, the Romans are in charge. But Corinth, even though the Romans are in charge, Corinth is a Greek city. Because the Greek, of course, ran the world before they were subdued by the Romans. So even though the Romans are in charge, Greek philosophy has influenced this whole empire, especially the city of Corinth. And Epicureans were a follower of this guy, Epicurus. 
And uh, so the, the, the Epicureans were all about don't put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Life is about pleasure. Whatever you do, whatever makes you feel good, go for it. That was, that was an Epicurean. A Stoic was uh, founded by a guy named Zeno. And uh, the, the, these are, these are the, they cared about what they called the virtuous life. But what I want you to understand is Epicurus and Zeno, they're Greeks. So this is, here's Paul. It's obvious he, 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 he's, he's a Roman citizen. So he knows that culture very well. He's a Jew. He knows that really well. He's been trained in the religious, uh, whatever, uh, the, the, the concepts of Judaism and trained to be a rabbi. But he obviously is very comfortable in the world of the Greeks. And so there's a Roman world, a Jewish world, a Greek world, a religious world. He, 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 this guy, when I say he's the greatest apologist, man, is he qualified to say what I'm about to teach you tonight that he said. Because his Hebrew training with Gamaliel made him comfortable in the world of the highest religious concepts. But his Roman citizenship enabled him to walk in what I would call the world of the empire. But his Greek interest made him very conscious of the philosophies of the intellectuals. But it was the fourth world. It was his relationship with Jesus that made him aware of another world, a heavenly world, not an earthly world, not a carnal world. And it's this relationship with Jesus in Paul's life that trumped everything else. One time he said, man, I've had great education, but he said, I count it as dung. It's manure. He said, I got one thing on my mind right now. I am going to get the high calling of Jesus on my life. And, and this is a man you read this scripture. This is a guy, Paul is a guy, he has a running gun battle with Jewish priests. Even though, if you read his writings, he argued passionately for the priesthood of the believer. And, and he saw, obviously, the, the far-reaching world of the Roman Empire. But they kept saying this, Caesar's God, Caesar's God. And they had it right that there was one God they just had the wrong name. Caesar wasn't God. Jesus was. And, and he obviously was captivated by, by Greek philosophers and their analysis of life. But, but he knew they needed the revelatory light of the word to shine on their concepts of what real life was all about. So what I'm trying to show you is in Jesus, Paul found the error in all of those worlds. He found the problem with the Jewish world, which totally depended on the law of Moses. He found the error in the Roman culture. He found the error in their religious and especially in their Greek philosophies. But, but, but like so many other people said, I find no flaw in him. And, and, and Paul dedicated, once he found Jesus, he dedicated the rest of his life 
to correcting the errors in the Judaism, the world of Judaism, in the Roman culture, in the philosophies and the intellectuals. He, 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 there, were, there, were, there were two letters that we still have that were written to the church in Corinth. And um, um, I've read to you tonight two passages from that first letter. And this is what Paul was trying to do with the first letter to the Corinth church. He's trying to correct the life that the Christians are living in a Greek city that's controlled by Romans. Paul wrote these verses that we have to correct what he realized was a church that was still in the influence of the city that they lived in. They were Christians, but their thought processes were Greek. And, 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 and what, he, what, what you read in 1 Corinthians is the church was tolerating impurity on a massive scale. Um, uh, Matthew, give, give me that verse in 2 Corinthians. Say, there's, there's a place here in 1 Corinthians where he said, look, you got something going on in your church. Thought not even, the, just leave that scripture up there, Matthew. Not even the Gentiles will tolerate. And what was going on was a man was involved with his, with his mother-in-law or, or his stepmom. And, uh, and he's coming to church and they're going, how you doing, brother? Had a good day, had a good week. And Paul said, let me explain something to you. This guy is doing something so, so ugly. Not even the Gentiles do this kind of stuff. He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to draw away with him. I don't want you to, he can't, can't not come to church. I don't want you talking to him. I want you to cut him off. Maybe, just maybe, he said, it's a Hail Mary pass. It's a, it's a last ditch effort, but maybe, just maybe, this guy will realize what he's doing is wrong. And I'll show you, there's, there's several other things that he's dealing with. In, 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 you, you, when you read the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, he said, I would love to speak to you as unto spiritual, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to carnal. He said, you're still babes in Christ. Even though he said this, you come behind in no gift. They got the gifts of the spirit, but he still calls them spiritual babies. If there's the issue of, 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 this, uh, of this man, uh, chapter 11, if you remember chapter 11, chapter 11 has um, two subjects. One is God's order in the earth and the other is um, uh, communion. And uh, the body of Christ. And uh, if you study the first 15, this is, this is where we get a lot of our teaching about women's hair and men's hair. The first 15 verses of 1 Corinthians 11. And um, Renee and I are going to be doing a thing in the next life group. For those of you that are interested and want to go further, want to know, well, how, well, what's going on in this church? How come people do this? How come they don't do that? Sister Alma and I, we're going to put together a series of lessons. And if you're interested in going further and going deeper, then we invite you to be in our life group. Because um, this is not for everybody. I'm just flat out going to tell you that this is a lifestyle change. But if you've been here for any length of time, you're going to know what's going on with this hair. 
What's going on with these dresses on these women? What's going on? What about these men? What's going on? A lot of this comes from the first 15 verses of 1 Corinthians 11. And when you read the opening verses of Corinthians 11, this is what Paul said. I want you to know that the head of every woman is the man. The head of every man is Christ and the head of Christ is God. So it doesn't begin with hair. It begins with God's order in the earth. That woman or wife is headed by her husband. That's her head. The man is headed by the man, Christ Jesus. The flesh that God used. And that flesh was headed by the spirit that directed that flesh. So you have woman, man, the incarnation, the man, Christ Jesus, and the God that was in that flesh. That's God's order in the earth. And it starts dealing with different things on there. And um, uh, well, I'll, I'll go into more detail about this in our life group. But when you get to verse 16, this is what it says in verse 16. I want you to know that if anybody seems to be contentious, neither I nor the churches practice any other custom. And so people take... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16 and say, Paul would say, well, if you don't agree with what I said, well, that's okay. I, uh, I'm fine with it. That's not what, he wouldn't spend 15 verses talking about something and then give you an out and say, well, it's okay. Just believe anything you want. That's not what he's doing. In verse 16, he's saying, look, if you don't agree with what I've just said, I want you to know that all of the churches that I'm responsible for practice this. And so a lot of people go there and, 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 and talk about hair. But let me explain something to you right now. Hair is not holy. All right? My wife's never cut her hair. I remember uh, it's, it, was, it was terrible a couple years ago. Um, uh, Ashley was supposed to be blind. And uh, my daughter, Brittany, had scar tissue. They said she would never have children. And Renee had a tumor. And it was very, very, very serious. And so fear came on me. And I'm thinking, okay, I am going to be a widower being with Ashley that will never have grandkids. And um, when Renee went into surgery, it was a long process. They had multiple surgical teams working with her. After hours of her being in surgery, she had a woman that was her lead surgeon. She came out and she had her team around her, and they were over there huddled. And I'm going, oh, shoot, man, what is going on? Finally, she sees me, and she says, oh, Mr. Hoffman, we have a question for you. I'm thinking, okay, here it comes. And she says, has your wife ever cut her hair? <laughs> and it was like, I said, why would you ask that? She said, we had that take them clips out of her hair. And when the anesthesiologist took them clips out, her hair just like a waterfall went and was on the floor. She said, all of us were in shock. She said, we just all stopped and went, whoa, look at that. She said, has she? I said, no, she hasn't. And I said, and? She said, oh, I forgot. It's okay. She said, it wasn't malignant. It was benign. We just lifted it out. She's going to be fine. Renee's leaving early in the morning. We're getting up at three. Wow. But she's going to be with the granddaughters in Texas. Brittany's been blessed with two healthy children. 
Ashley, they did bilateral, nine surgeries on Ashley's eyes, but they did bilateral lens implants. Now she sees good. She's still um, a challenge at times. But she's in a good mood right now because she got a new iPhone for Christmas. And the world is good for a couple of days. And, uh, but all of this fear that was inside of me, my wife's going to be dead. My daughter's going to be blind. I'm never going to have any grandkids. I read something one time said, don't tell me worrying doesn't change stuff. 95% of the stuff that I worry about never does happen. Just, it's a time joke. You just think of it for a moment and you'll get it. <laughs> it was just all of this fear and anxiety that was, it was all wasted energy. None of it happened. And uh, I read something one time. Somebody asked you, how you doing? Don't ever tell anybody how bad off you are. Because 80% of the people could care less. And the other 20% are delighted somebody's worse off than they are. <laughs> Just for goodness sakes, put a smile on your face and go on. And my, my point is, is that even though my wife has not cut her hair, that doesn't make her holy. Right. Hair isn't holy. But it's a symbol of something that's very holy, which is God's order in the earth. And, and I, I don't want to get side because it's not my Bible lesson we'll do, but it's just your hair, ma'am, is a witness. Your hair is a billboard. It's a marquee. It's a, it's, it, it, it can enable a people to find God and to understand order in the earth. Because I've met a lot of long-haired, rebellious women. I've met women that have hair down to their ankles, but they need a driver's license for their tongue. So just because you have long hair doesn't immediately mean you are holy. But if you understand God's order in the earth, then you make the connection, this is why I do this. Because I understand God has an order in the earth. And when we restore that God-given order, life will be good. You look at what's going on right now. I, I just got, uh, 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 I had to sign up for something. And I can't remember exactly what it was two weeks ago. And they said, what gender are you? And it wasn't male or female. There were all these options. We're living in a world of confusion. I remember years ago when, when the, all the, homos, the AIDS epidemic and, uh, and, and uh, homosexuality and all that, and they said, look, just leave us alone. We, we, we just want to be left alone. And so people did. And then the lesbian world showed up. And then all of a sudden, now the transgender thing's coming on. And on and on it goes. It's never going to stop. I'm telling you, it's just, uh, it's, when I say uh, of his government and peace, there shall be no end. If you're serving the Lord, it's going to get better. If you're not serving the Lord, it's going to get worse. I mean, you know, remember, if we just need to flatten the curve. You remember that phrase a while ago? We just need to flatten the curve. I, I, you're never going to flatten the curve, okay? If it isn't the delta, it'll be the Omicron. It'll be something else after that and something else after that. It's just... <sighs> It's, it's, this is where we are, ladies and gentlemen, okay? This is where we are. And, and when you get after verse 16 in chapter 11, it talks about the Lord's Supper. We call it Holy Communion. Let me explain something to you. Communion is not holy. 
There are people that come every Sunday in a church and take Holy Communion. That's like the seal of good housekeeping and everything's fine. I want you to understand something. Communion is not holy, but like hair, it is a symbol of something that's very holy. The body of Christ. And not just the one hanging on the middle cross. Do you understand what the body of Christ is now? And that's what Paul is right. He said a lot of people are sick, a lot of them are dead, and a bunch of them are weak because they can't discern the body. He's not talking about the guy in the middle cross. He's saying your relationship with your brother and sister. If you don't understand the value of unity and forgiveness in a church, you're weak and you're sick and you'd probably just be spiritually dead. And so that's what I want you to understand. Hair's not holy, but a symbol of something it is. Communion's not holy, but it's a symbol of something it is. And so when Paul is writing in Corinthians 11, he's writing to Corinth in a Greek city that basically says, if it makes you feel good, just do it. And it, it's, that's 11. So then you, 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 you get a little further and you get into 13. You remember 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 12 gives the spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 gives the spirit. Sandwiched in between like a real Oreo. Thank you, Inez, who gave me real Oreos this Sunday. And she gave me something really good. Oh, I don't have it. She gave me a dunking stick. Someone has invented a plastic dunking stick perfect to go around a real Oreo and you can baptize it in milk. And you can, it won't fall off and go to the bottom and turn into goo. You can baptize your Oreo. I, I was given that as a Christmas present. I was, I was deeply moved. You hear me, Jeff Woodworth? Vanilla are not real Oreos. Chocolate Oreos. Chocolate Oreos. And as one of my predecessors said, not another word. Not another word. Game, set, match, it's over. Pastor said it, Oreos or chocolate. I was given an Oreo Dunkin'. I was given my, my, the best gift in the world. I got a Woodcraft gift card. It was like... <laughs> Hallelujah. Life was good. But between 12, which is gifts of the Spirit, and 14, gifts of the Spirit, is this chapter. Though you speak with the tongues of men and angels, give your body to be burned. Come behind in no gift. If you don't have charity, you're just a bunch of noise. You're a sounding brass and you're a tinkling cymbal. Cymbals don't tinkle. They crash. But what he's saying is, you're never going to have a lot of impact. You're never going to have a loud noise. You're just going to be a, just, a, just a little tingling symbol. Why? He's rebuking them. Why? Because the Greek concept of love was, do anything you want. You know? If it's between consenting adults, who cares? If it's two men and they consent, it's okay. If it's two women, it's okay. If it's a guy and a dog, it's okay. If it's a man and a young boy, it's okay if they consent. Don't you see? That's where we're going. We're on the verge of that now. This is way beyond homosexuality and lesbianism. This is pedophilia. It's okay. Why? Because that's what this culture was. And the Bible's very clear. I'm totally convinced that everything that accompanied Jesus when he showed up the first time 
will be here when he comes back. You got a problem with taxes? That's the culture when Jesus was born. I can go on and on. When, when Herod killed all these kids and this abortion, it's, it's the same. I, I don't have time to get sidetracked with that. I'm telling you the same culture that existed when Jesus came the first time either exists or will exist when he returns. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's where we are because love, if it makes you feel good. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me explain to you that you guys have a very selfish, self-centered concept of love. Let me tell you about love. It doesn't vaunt itself up. Love doesn't keep score. On and on. And he gives them a God-centered facet and opinion of what real love is. And then when you get to 15, they, they don't believe in the resurrection. And when you read Corinthians 15, Paul is basically saying, I remember when we built this church. I've told some of you this story. We had a wonderful architect. Arclasian is a wonderful guy, but he was Greek Orthodox before he became apostolic. And, 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 and he did something for our church. And we'll I'll, I'll always speak highly of art because usually an architect gets 10% of the finished cost. This building years ago when it was finished was $2 million. He should have been given $200,000 for his drawings. He said, I'll make a deal with you, Pastor Hoffman. If you'll build what I draw, I'll give you the prints for free. But he said, I'm warning you, I've never had a Pentecostal preacher build what I drew because they're all cheapskate bums. And he said, they won't build. They said, what I drew was too expensive. He said, I'm willing to give you my drawings free if you promise me you'll build what I drew. And we did. We stayed true to his design magnificent guy but he was asking me where's the cross I said we're not going to have a cross what we're not going to have a cross I said how about a hole in the wall and he looked at me and said what are you talking about I said don't you understand Art the Romans killed thousands of people on crosses but there's only one that ever got up I said, we, if anything, let's, let's have, I, I said, let's have an open tomb. Forget the cross. Cross doesn't mean anything if he stays dead. So if you know, when he put them windows, he put a big cross between the windows and snuck a cross in on us. He was trying to sanctify me, just <laughs> ignorant preacher. And I'm not denigrating the cross. And there's people that have accused me of that over the years. My God, bro, I said, the cross doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But it's no good without the resurrection. And that's what Corinthians 15 is about. If he didn't resurrect, we might as well go to the ball game and get drunk. Because there's no ramifications for our life. Because that was the whole concept of Greek life. And I'll, I'll explain it to you in just a little bit. So you, you're going through Corinthians 1. And, and that's why I, Matthew had this verse up. And, and, and it's just because what happened was, which happens to all preachers, Paul was very strong in this first letter. And he, he licks it, puts a stamp on it, puts it in a box. And by the time he gets home, it's like, oh, man, I should have never said that. I am going to hurt so many people with that. I, I could have said that better. Oh, 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 goodness. Wow, what was I thinking? And so you're obviously not getting an instant response. But it's, it's weeks and probably months later that when you get into 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it's, it's, I forget, it'll say, who is it? 
Matthew that brought him the word, the, 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 was, it, was it Timothy? It'll say in that context. Anyway, one of these young preachers said, hey boss, did you hear what happened in Corinth? And he's going, oh no, man. The church split, they got mad. Let the guy and his mother-in-law come to church. Mm, oh, he said, watch this verse. For behold this self-same thing. that this is, You sorrowed after a godly sort. What careful. I used to preach a message called seven what's. There's seven what's in this verse. What carefulness. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What desire. What zeal. What revenge. In all things you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. What it was is. The enemy, as, as it'll happen, I'll, I'll preach something strong to you, and by the time I get home, it's like, oh, you were live streamed, for goodness sakes. Why did you say that? It went everywhere. This is being live streamed right now. You'd be surprised where this goes. And you got communication is very, 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 very complicated because there's what I said, and then there's what I thought I said, and then there's what you thought you heard me say and then there's what you said to someone else about what you thought I said but I didn't say that because I'm not exactly sure I said what I thought I said (laughs) it's like eight different varieties of communication it gets really complicated and there are lots of times I go home and go um the the guys I'm a, well, I shouldn't say this, but I will say it. A lot of times I'll preach it in the first service, and between services I run back to my office and totally rewrite my message and bring it back to these guys and say, here, throw that one away. This one's better. And I, I, my, my second message a lot of times is better than the first because I'm taking the first one out for, taking it out for, for, you know, taking it out for a drive for the first time. And I, I'm going to be on live stream the second service. Don't say that. Say it like this. And if Renee's here, she really lets me know, don't sue them. <laughs> this is exactly what happened to Paul. But all of a sudden, he, he, to the glory of God, instead of these people getting mad at Paul, they got mad at the enemy. And the guy repented for what he had been doing in that incestuous relationship, and he repented. And on all, look what zeal came out of this. Look at what fear rose up in these people. What indignation. I used to preach a message called the Christian virtue of hatred. And people thought that was so strange. But I've got Bible for it. Because the Bible said Job eschewed evil. He hated evil. Jesus turned, created a whip. You know. In his first, he's just become a preacher. He just got his license. He just got baptized. And it's like Peter saying, Jesus, you can't go ripping up a church during your first revival. What's the district board going to say about that? And he said, shut up and watch. And all of a sudden there's doves flying and sheep and hay. And, and some young priest said, who are you? And he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Who are you? This is my father's house. You've turned it into the starvation army. It, 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 looks, like a, the, the, it looks like the 4-H down at the fair. Ain't supposed to be goats in the house. Ain't supposed to be sheep. What are you doing here? This is supposed to be a place of prayer. Get out of here. Bible said he drove them all out. Then this is what it says. And they brought the sick and the lame and the deaf. And he healed them all in that church after he cleaned it out. 
I'm just telling you there are times when a pastor, you, you just, the enemy will just beat you to death. But what a delight it is to have a church mature enough to not just hear it, but get the spirit of what's coming. Trying to, I keep saying this, don't just hear me, feel me. Just what, what is the guy trying to get across here? And, and Paul, in that first Corinthian letter, he's doing everything he can to correct Corinthians who are basically Greeks. And they're, they're the whole concept. And the, Paul, Paul, he's trying to, to correct the, these people that have come under the influence of just a lot of sensuality and a lot of impurity. And, 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 and he says this. All things are lawful for me, but... I, I, I don't want to bore you with stale statistics, but, but, but words are the vehicles that are used to convey truth. And when Paul said all things, over, I found that it's over 30 times in the Bible, that phrase, all things. And it's very elastic. But what I, what, it, it, it held true again this week, studying especially today. You have to read the context. You have to read what he said before and what he said after. Be, 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 because the context is so important. For instance, here's chapter 3. This is the third chapter. I, I had read to you, first of all, I believe from the sixth chapter. This is chapter 3. Listen to what Paul said before. He said, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So he's agreeing with them. Yeah, it's all yours. But, but, but he literally kicks the walls out of their mind. Because most of these people have no idea who Apollos is. If you know your word, Apollos was a brilliant orator and became a powerful preacher. And he mentions a guy named Cephas. Who's Cephas? Remember Jesus said, you're not going to be known like this anymore. But I'm... I'm, I'm going to call you something else. Cephas is Peter. And, and he's saying, all things are yours, whether from me or from Apollos or from Peter or, or the world or life, which you people are really interested in, or death, which you're not interested in all because Greek philosophy said death was the, the end of life. You just died and it was over. But, but he said, Things present, which you all are fascinated with because you, you want present pleasure right now or things to come, which they don't have any idea what he's talking about. And, and, and he said, everything's yours. It's not just what's here now. It's what's to come. It's not just living. It's dying. It's not just your concept. What about apostolic concepts? Let me mention three great preachers. The, the, this, your, your world's much bigger. You have access to all of this, but please remember... You belong to Jesus. And he lets them know that everything in that Greek world you are so familiar with, but then he mentions a lot of things they're not familiar with. And Paul is saying, every kind of thought is yours. And then the world is yours. Life, death, things present, things to come. He, he said, this all belongs to you. It's all legal. It's all lawful. The, the, the word is existon, all things. 
It's a powerful word. And, 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 and I, I found this some time ago and I wrote it down, hoping I'd get to use it again. But, but the concept of this, this means you, you're, you're, on the, you're, you're on a public highway. You're, you're on the medium of Interstate 75. And you've got four lanes going south and you've got four lanes going north. And there's hundreds of cars whizzing past you at any given moment. Some going north, some going south. And what it's saying is you have the freedom to get out there and get into any one of those cars you want to. It's all yours. The world's yours. You're standing on the freeway of life with different thoughts whizzing by and different people whizzing by and different concepts and philosophies whizzing by. And if you want to, you can latch on to any of them. It's all yours. It's all lawful. And Paul said, I'm free. I agree with you. Because the whole concept of, of Greek philosophy was we, we're all free people. We, we are responsible for nothing outside of ourselves. That sound familiar? Listen to the context. But here's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I read to you from chapter 3. Here's 2 and 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. You, 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 yes, all things are available to you. But if you want to be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman, you're going to have to make some judgments. Do I want to get in that car or that one? Do I want to follow that philosophy or this one? Do I want to follow that preacher or this one? Yeah, you can follow anything you want. However, it's not all expedient. You belong to Jesus. And he's saying that as a Christian, what matters is not all this stuff you have access to, but rather, what's Jesus going to say after you do it? And what is your relationship with the Lord going to look like after you make the decision? You're going to have to judge things in the light of your relationship with him. So now, here's Corinthians chapter 8. But to us, there is but one God of whom are all things. Now, here's chapter 9 and verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery, watch this, is temperate in all things. And they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I, I, I remember um, following a, a figure skater, Tara Lipinski. She's a Detroit girl. And, and she won the gold medal at the Olympics. But Tara Lipinski, for seven years in a row, got up at four in the morning and was at the rink by five and skated from five till seven and had enough time to change her clothes and go to school. And when school was done, she went back to the rink and she stayed there till nine. Came home, did her homework. Boom, she's up at four. This is seven years she did this to get a gold medal. And Paul was saying, all these athletes are striving for the mastery. They're, they're trying to win a, a prize. They're, they're trying to get first place. And, and, and what he's saying is, it's for a corruptible crown. We're after an incorruptible crown. What he's saying is if these people are willing to make these sacrifices to get something carnal and fleshly that's going to fade, what are we willing to do in order to obtain the crown that won't fade? 
You just can't be lazy in your walk with God. You're going to have to judge some stuff. You're going to have to figure out, is this good for me or not? Is this going to, is this going to make it better or going to make it worse? The, the, these, liberty is not without boundaries. Liberty has limits. And here they are. All things are lawful, but all things aren't expedient. I can do anything, but I won't be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful for me, but all things don't edify. So let me go quickly. All things are not expedient. Here's the message. I love this. Listen to the message, Corinthians 6 and 12. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it's just... Here's the second. I will not be brought under the power of of any. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you got an 18-year-old boy? He can drink. Alcohol is legal. All right? Hey, do you watch YouTube? I I watch YouTube all the time. I go to YouTube University day after day after day. You can learn anything on YouTube. I'll tell you what's driving me crazy right now. It does not matter what subject I'm dealing with. Bam. Have you heard about FanDuel? Have you heard about sports betting? Do you know that gambling will give you 10 bucks back every time? It's just every YouTube that you pull up right now, they are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to push this thing down. They won't call it gambling. I remember, uh, um, uh, who was it, the, 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 the radio guy, James Dobson, that, 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 that he was on a presidential commission about, they called it gaming. They won't call it gambling. It's just a game. He had so many death threats after doing the thing on gambling and, 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 and pornography that he said, I'm done, I'm retiring, and he did. Because when you go to the casinos, there's no clocks in a casino. There's no windows in a casino. They pump oxygen into that room. They've got the temperature turned down. It's all a science to keep you looking at, you don't look at the roof, the ceiling, look at that nice floor, you look at them machines. It's, it's all designed to get you caught up in that. We had a lady here years ago and she came to me, just a wonderful woman, and, 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 and she said, uh, Pastor, what, what is your opinion of, 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 of gambling? And I said, oh, honey, the, the house always wins. And I knew she had access to a huge amount of money that belonged to one of her children. One of her children had become in a horrible accident. Someone hit one of their children. She was given lots and lots and lots of money in a trust fund for her child. And I was sick to my stomach and I said, how much did you lose, honey? She said, you asked me the wrong question, Pastor. Ask me the other question. I said, okay, how much did you win? She said, $80,000 in 20 minutes. What do I do? Well, first you pay your tithes. <laughs> I did, that's what I told her. Have you tithed off your money? No. Well, let's get that done. Can I buy my husband a truck? Yeah, but pay cash for it. She said, I want to take my kids on a nice vacation. Fine, take them for a vacation. But I said, when you get home, I'm going to get you banned from the casino, which I did. I got her banned from the casino so she couldn't get back. But this is what I didn't realize. You can unban yourself. And she did. And the next time, it was bad. 
It's legal. Do you realize that your 13-year-old girl can get an abortion and you, they, they, they're obligated to not tell you as parents? Do you understand that? You can get drunk. You can gamble. You can get an abortion. It's legal. Doesn't make it right. Is it expedient? What does this mean when he said, I'm not, gambling is legal, but the stories of gambling addiction are, are you want to do something, man, do a little study about the people that won the lottery. It's, it's, it's like scorched earth. It's, 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 it's abortion's legal. Talk to Talisha. Ask her if there are no consequences to abortion. She's going to have a worldwide ministry, and it's, it's, it's already blooming into that right now. You know why? Because there's millions of women out there. Oh, Jesus. Millions of women who right now are brought under the power of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. It's legal. Yeah, well, then fix this, this, this tear in my heart. Who's going to deal with that? You pray for Talisha. You think she's not going to come under attack and hasn't already? She's at my house Sunday. We had staff dinner at my, my house. Man, we got, we got ham. Them Jews have no idea what they're missing, man. That's great stuff. I mean, we had all the deal. Grandma made all this stuff. We had pies and cakes and all that. She's over there eating beans and lettuce because she found out she had a problem with something called, uh, what's that word? That, that word that's in everything? Gluten. Gluten's in everything. She's got to stay away from that. Doesn't surprise me. She's on the front line out here trying to stop people from aborting a child. I, I, I got to go quickly. It's just, here's, all things are not expedient. That's the first limitation. Second is, I'm, I'm not going to do anything that's going to make me a slave. And the third thing is, everything doesn't edify. Here's the NIFA, NIV. Everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. I mean, don't you remember your mom? I remember my mom. But mom, Ricky Fox got to do it. Mom, Esther Gertrude, if Ricky Fox jumped off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff behind him? <laughs> it's just, yes, you can do it. But is it spiritually appropriate? Is it going to make you a slave? Is it going to build you up? Is it going to make you weaker? So the, i got to go fast. Fast. The first is a test of progress. Literally the words mean foot free. You, you can go wherever you want. But when you're done and you look around, did you gain ground or did you lose it? Are you progressing in your walk with God or are you digressing? My wife and I were talking about someone that goes to this church, and I love them, and I'll always love them. But, but, but I told her, I said, the shine's gone. And I just tears welled up in my eyes, and she looked at me, and she said, I know, I know. And just saw, saw some precious young person in this church, and just 
they're in the valley of decision right now. And, and I was there, and you were there, and this person is there. And I, I could tell, man, you just, there's, there's no shine, there's no glow. It's gone. Why? Because you did something, and now you're its slave. Now you're under the power of that thing. Now, like Samson, you broke one cord and you broke another. But the Bible talks about the cords of sin. You wrap that thing. It'll be okay. I can stop. It's like, hey, hey, yeah, I can stop anytime I want. I've stopped. I've already stopped 23 times. You, I heard a guy the other day, you belong to AA? He said, no, AA is for quitters. <laughs> it's just, ladies and gentlemen, is it going to help you run? Paul is saying, Everything's lawful for, for me. That, that art is lawful. That, I can listen to that music. What about science? What about games? They will meet. But he said, they're not all going to make me run faster. They're all, not all going to minister to my progress. So some, some, here we go. Some people might be able to do this and get away with it. But you, you can't. You've got to be honest with yourself. I know me. If I mess with that, I'm in trouble. Are you open? Can you judge yourself? Can you be objectively honest with yourself? Can you turn that high-powered, self-righteous, judgmental attitude back on yourself and go, oh, if I keep doing this, my prayer life is suffering. Aren't you tired of coming to prayer and repenting for the same thing again and again and again and again and again? And the first 20 to 30 minutes of every Monday night prayer is spent in guilt and condemnation, saying, God, here I am again. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And he will. But you're never going any further. It's, I believe God gave me a revelation last Sunday when it said, ask, seek, and knock. It's, it's, it's that scripture that said, the Lord Almighty omnipotent reigneth. That's a, in the Greek language, that's a present progressive verb. It means he's on the throne and he's going to stay on the throne. The Lord Almighty omnipotent reigneth. Listen to the verse. He that asketh, he that seeketh, he that knocketh. What it's saying is, don't ever quit asking. Don't ever quit looking. Don't ever quit knocking. It doesn't mean that door's never going to open. It doesn't mean that you're never going to discover. It doesn't mean you're ever going to get your answer. What it's saying is ask, and you're going to get the answer to your question. But for goodness sakes, don't let it be one and done and quit asking. It's present progressive. When God answers that one, ask for something else. Amen. When you find what you're looking for, look for something else. When you're knocking and that door gets opened, then for goodness sakes, don't stop with one open door. Keep going. Jesus' name. It's, it's just, it, it, the second is a test of authority. These, these are hard words for me to translate, but, but it, it's like all things are permitted, but if I ever get to the point where I have to ask that for permission. The famous verse in Ecclesiastes, the preacher, I preached a great message one time, never preached it again. Boy, was it a great message. A sermon from a backslidden preacher. Because Ecclesiastes was written by the preacher. Solomon wrote it. And he said, there's nothing new under the sun. All is vanity. And I said that for you. It's all vanity. That's the opinion of a backslidden preacher. There's an old covenant and there's a new covenant coming. There was an Old Testament priest. There's a new high priest coming. Amen. There's an old birth and there's, there's, a, there's another birth. There's a second birth coming. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. 
Don't get so morbid that you think it's all over and there's nothing new to discover or nothing else to ask for or nothing. No, 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 no. I saw Time named Elon Musk man of the year. Whatever you think of him, but I, I, I heard him make a stupid speech a couple weeks ago and he said, I intend to take fiction out of the word science fiction. And criticize him all you want, but the guy's a visionary man. And he's willing to put his own billions on the line and not just lose somebody, somebody else's money. And I, I look at that and say, God, how can I apply that to my life? I don't, I, I, I don't want to be, here. sorry about this, and I, I apologize. I don't want to be the Detroit Lions of Pentecost. The, the Detroit Lions just had a parade. They won one. Hallelujah. Okay. But I keep, I've been here since 1988 and all I've ever heard is you just wait till next year. You just wait till next year. You, and I don't want to be this church saying you just wait till next year. You just wait till next year. I want something now. I want it in this prayer meeting. I want it in this Bible class. I want it before Christmas. I don't want to wait till 2022. All right? Are you greedy? Yes. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. Are you bloated and full and can't pray an intercessory prayer? No. Jesus name. Listen to Ecclesiastes. Listen to what this backslidden preacher said. I saw a wonder in the earth. I saw servants riding. I saw princes walking. That's backwards. The prince is supposed to be on the horse. The servant's supposed to be beside of it, but it's backwards. What's supposed to be serving is now being served. Money, money, great servant. But let, when that thing rules your life, you're in trouble. Physical intimacy, shall I say it? Sex, it's a great invention, wonderful stuff. When kept within the boundaries of marriage, it's a good thing, but it's like a fire. You keep it in a fireplace, it'll warm your house on a cold winter's night. You get that thing on your carpet and it'll burn your house down. And so I come to young men. Thank God I never had the internet when I was 16. I would have blown my mind out on pornography. This thing, Jesus, gee, was those hormones raging inside of you. And I pray for you young men all the time. But listen to me. It will mess your head up if you keep fooling them all. We got, we, we got kids all over the country vaping. You know what vaping is? You think it doesn't go in this church? You're nuts if you think it don't go in this church. I'm telling you, we got kids struggling with pornography. We got kids smoking electronic cigarettes and mom and dad not mind. You, you got to understand something here. There's an enemy of your soul that's trying to get you to come under the the power of something. But if you have a right relationship with Jesus, hey, I know I could do it, but I'm not going to be brought into the power of that. I'm not going to let that thing have authority over me. Hallelujah. I'm done. And the last is a test of relationship. Is what I'm about to do going to cause me to stumble or my neighbor to stumble. I can do anything I want. Yeah, you can, but if you're a Christian, what if there's a young Christian looking at you and going, that's okay to do that? I, I, I got convicted about that. Let me tell you something about convictions. If God gave you conviction 10 years ago in your walk with God, that, condition, that conviction does not have an expiration date on it. It was a God-given check inside of your spirit to keep you for the rest of your life away from whatever that was that he told you, you can't deal with that.
Listen to Romans 14 and 15. I'm closing. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy him not with thy meat for whom Christ died. Translation, don't kill your brother just because you want to do it. Because Jesus died for him too. You may be able to handle it. But if they see you do it, that might be the very thing that they struggled with before they came to church. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying the death he should glorify God. And when he had said this, he said unto him, follow me. Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, said, which also leaned on his breast at supper, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saying to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? If I will that he tarry till I come, what's that to you? You follow me. This is the message I'm finishing. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, see, I hate corduroy pants and turtleneck sweaters. I hate them. My wife loves them. And I promise you, there's probably going to be a day when I'll be drooling my cream of wheat out of the side of my mouth and Renee will spryly be bringing me in and I'm going to have brown corduroy pants on and a black turtleneck sweater. And she's going to go, doesn't he look cute? And I'm going to be gone. I hate turtleneck sweaters. I feel like I got a midget on my back choking me all day long. (laughs) Sorry about that, midgets. And he's saying, guess what, Pete? One of these days, somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go. Somebody's going to dress you in clothes you don't like. And he said, hey, what about John? And he said, we're not talking about John, dummy. We're talking about you. Don't you worry about him. You follow me and forget him. And I love the last verse. Here's, 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 here's the last verse. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. We're in the book of John. Peter said, what about John? And John is saying, I didn't make this up. I didn't hear that. I actually heard Jesus say, forget about him, you follow me. And you know what I'm telling you is the truth because I was an eyewitness. I met someone several years ago in a restaurant. A lady that used to serve the Lord very fervently. It was very obvious to me she wasn't serving God anymore. I, I nodded and smiled and went on. She wouldn't have any of that. She had to come up to me and she said, I just want you to know that I'm free. You understand I'm free. She said, all them bondages and all them limitations and all them shackles you tried to put on me, I'm free now. She said, I've never felt freer in my life. And when she said that, it was like divine rage flew up in me. And I said, of course you're free, sweetheart. You're no longer in the battle. You surrendered. You gave up. 
It's just, are you, is, is the enemy coming against you? I talked with someone Sunday. We had a precious time around the altar. No, it was Monday at prayer. It was like, you wouldn't get fought this hard if the enemy had total control over you. He is desperately concerned because he's losing control over you. And he's going to do his best to fight you. And when you feel those forces coming on, you say, I got you, don't I? I got you scared, shaking in your boots. Guess what? All things mine. All things legal. But I belong to Jesus. Stand And because you belong to Jesus, you're going to go, nope, I'm not getting in that car. Nope, I'm not getting in that one. Uh, Whoa, there's a godly one there. I'll get in that vehicle. Oh, there's a good pretty girl. I think I'll just date her. Nope, don't think so. Oh, there's another pretty girl. Let's see, nope. Oh, there's a handsome boy. Nope. You can date anybody you want. Doesn't mean it's going to be expedient. Doesn't mean it's going to build you up. You know, I'll just, I'll just do, I can do that. It's okay, Pastor. It won't be, I don't know, it won't hurt. If we belong to Jesus, there are limits to our liberties. We are not going to do stuff that's going to slow us down. We're not going to do stuff that makes us a bond servant. And we are not going to do stuff that harms somebody else. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the privilege of walking through your word. I thank you for the men and the women that are in this room here tonight, students of your word. You said, it's not my miracles which are going to judge you. It's my word which I have spoken to you which is going to judge you in that day. I want this to be a word, church. I want us to be built upon that foundation of that word of God. In the beginning was the word. And if any real thing starts in our life, it's always going to begin with the word. This is first church. And so in our genesis and in our origin, things that always have to be the highest priority have always got to be word-based. I ask you, God, humbly to guide us and direct us. If I'm speaking and teaching to somebody tonight that's in the valley of decision, wondering, what about this relationship? Wonder about that job. Wonder about this habit. Wonder about that hobby. Wonder about this, this, or not. I'm asking you, God, right now that you would deal with them and speak to them in the kind grace that you do so often. You have never been in, you've never, ever, ever been, been, been interested in embarrassing anybody. The only people you ever confronted were a bunch of self-righteous preachers and you called them a bunch of snakes. But you looked at a woman married five times and living with number six, but you loved on her. Lord Jesus, if I'm preaching and teaching to somebody right now, whether they've been serving you, whether they're thinking about serving you, whether they're thinking about not serving you, I'm asking you, God, to let the word find a, find a seedbed in their spirit tonight and then receive the engrafted word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Amen. Greet one another. Show yourself kind to one another. Amen. Amen. It's a great day. The Lord's on the throne. Amen. 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 Amen.